Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode. This is part two of our FIRE special. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, it's a short one and it introduces the concept of FIRE and why all doctors need to know about FIRE. Uh, But on today's episode, we talk to Dr. Emma Thurston, who's a Medics Money subscriber, a GP trainee, and also has used the concepts of FIRE to enable her to train part-time and pursue a career in lifestyle medicine. We talk about lots of things about how she's learned to manage her money better using principles of FIRE, but also how she's managed to develop a career in lifestyle medicine. And we get in talking about the role of burnout amongst doctors, which we know is a massive issue. And we think about the way that financial pressures can contribute to burnout and what you can do about it. So something slightly different. If you like these slightly different episodes, do let us know uh, because we're just trying to mix it up and uh, broaden what we talk about and um, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP but also a Chartered Accountant and a Chartered Tax Advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a Chartered Accountant and a Tax Advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So for today's podcast, I'm delighted to uh, introduce uh, Dr. Emma Thurston, uh, who contacted us um, after she read some content on Medics Money. So Emma, do you want to introduce yourself to the Medics Money listeners and tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a GP ST2 at the moment in Christchurch in Dorset. Um, and I do that at 80% less than full time. And I also um, run my own sort of lifestyle medicine blog and am the regional director for the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine in Hampshire and Dorset. Awesome. And I think you also have done some public health work as well. Or- yeah. So I was uh, 60% full time for the first few years of my GP training because I was doing a master's in public health from the University of Edinburgh at the same time. Awesome. And um, I think the... Uh- blog article from Medics Money that led you to contact us was the one that um, I wrote about fire is that right? Yes that is true it's because I am on a fire journey with my partner and it just spoke out to me that actually it's not something as medics we often talk about so I just thought it was great that you were putting that out there. Definitely Um, so for those of us that um, don't know about fire um, it stands for financial independence retire early do you want to tell us a bit more about what fire is and what it means to you because it means different things to different people yeah no, absolutely it does um so i think my dad was always a bit of a saver so i had that sort of ingrained into me from an early age and had that mindset and he actually um advised me to get income protection for my first day of work and at that stage i was a bit like what is this <laughs> why do i need that but actually i did do that and i think it's always a little safety buffer that i think is really it just has put your mind at ease a bit and I think you mentioned that as well in your article so I think that stood out to me at that point um and in terms of fire specifically my partner's an accountant and he's been really interested in the fire movement for a while and before we met so he was really the one who introduced the concept as a whole to me sounds like you've had some good mentors in your partner and your dad there that have set you on a nice um, path about fire and um where did you hear about medics money I'm always intrigued where how people find us (laughs) So I think it was actually on the RCGP portfolio website. It had like the little logo there. And I think what I initially used it for was uh, getting that sort of tax relief on sort of BMA, GMC, all that sort of thing. And that was really useful. You had like a step-by-step guide, which was literally like 
click this button here and do that, which was so useful. Yeah, yeah, the guide is really good. And um, the postgraduate exams are so expensive. So the opportunity to save 40% of those is not to be missed. Um, okay. Um, so you mentioned that your your partner is an accountant, and it sounds like your father gave you some sage words around income protection. Um, so do you want to just talk to me about, you know, because the fire movement in its purest form is financial independence retire early so basically it means save up live frugally and exit your career as early as possible um now in the article i shared that whilst i'm not looking to exit my career as early as possible i still work as a doctor i still love being a doctor um i am looking you know for financial independence i mean what does fire specifically mean to you and what steps have you taken to you know towards financial independence no, absolutely. I agree. I think for us, for both my partner and I, we both quite enjoy our careers and like that career progression, sort of having a bit of meaning and feeling proud about ourselves that we're doing something in the world. So it's not necessarily about retiring early per se. It's more the choice factor, I think. And it's I have a role that I'm passionate about and I don't necessarily want to retire. Um, but it's that choice element that I think is really powerful that you can sort of maybe dive into things that you really enjoy that don't necessarily bring so much worth to in terms of financially and actually just being able to work as much of your work the week as pop as you like so it's not necessarily working that standard Monday to Friday nine to five that I know medics it isn't actually anyway but it's that choice I think that's what really it means to us yeah I mean so I mean I think you know the cliche is that money doesn't buy you happiness and of course that mm. is true but money definitely gives you choices um, yes and you know, you've demonstrated that perfectly. You can choose when you work, how you work, and how you choose to spend your time. And in my experience, that has definitely helped my resilience and mm. uh, my happiness and my wellness. Um, so, you know, um, we've talked a bit about fire. I mean, what specific steps have you been yeah. taking on a sort of maybe a day-to-day -day level and then like a bigger level to help you get towards financial independence? Yes. Yeah, so the main thing like you've mentioned is living frugally. And I think you can break that down into really like simple steps. For example, in our hospital, when I was doing my hospital jobs, a Costa opened up and everyone was having like a daily or plus of Costa. I was actually... To be honest, I didn't really like it, which kind of helped. But I uh, brought my own little pot of instant coffee and just had that instead of because I know the hospital stuff's actually really not great. But that in itself saved quite a lot of money because you can spend up to 10 quid a day just on Costa, which really didn't add much for me. And also bringing my own lunches. I was always amazed at how everybody went to Costa for lunch or went to the hospital canteen. And actually, I quite like, as you know, the lifestyle medicine, so being quite healthy and choosing what I eat. But also from the frugal point of view, it you can make money. You can make a um, make lunch for sort of like less than a pound where people are spending three, four, five times that every day. And those things do add up. And then sort of in the supermarket, I love almond butter, but it is ridiculously expensive. So I taught myself to like peanut butter instead. And those sort of simple, really small things that add up over time. And then, like you say, there are the bigger things. So um, my partner's particularly interested in property. And we met um, after we'd both actually been able to buy our own houses. So he's thinking property investments, so he now rents his out. And then setting up a Vanguard to have that sort of investment side of things awesome um so much to go through there um so you know 
when I wrote my ebook, uh, I did actually a fairly similar case study about buying lunch. I totally mm. agree. Um, and so there was a study of a cardiology registrar who contacted Medics Money, and she was spending £200 a month in the hospital canteen, right? So six to eight pounds a day, not a devastating amount. Mm. But she read our ebook about compounding, basically. Yeah. And so if you spend, so she saved £166 a month, okay, by not spending um, money on lunch. So over a 30 year career, that adds up to about £59,760. And I haven't just done that in my head, it's written down here. <laughs> um, so that's a £59,000. That's a tremendous amount of money. Uh, um, but if you compound that at 5% using a sensible investment strategy, that 59000 would actually be £139,680 after 30 years. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never had a hospital lunch that was worth £139,000. <laughs> I definitely have not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, someone wrote to me after the ebook saying, essentially, I'm, I'm earning a, a good, mo good money as a doctor and buying coffee every day is not going to bankrupt me. And I think, you know, that's a fair point. Uh, yeah. Everybody, each their own. I mean, how do your colleagues react if you say, um, you know, I'm I'm saving 139,000 pounds here by being in a packed lunch and some coffee in a pot. What do they say? Um, I don't think I ever actually raised it with them, to be honest. I never actually mentioned I was doing it for the frugality of it. I think sometimes I said, oh, I like, you know, using leftovers because it saves spending money on this. But I don't think I ever actually talked about them to it about fire per se. And I think that's the ingrained don't talk about money thing that medics have. And actually... Yeah, no, I probably should talk about it more. Definitely. I mean, when I wrote that article about fire, I was really nervous, actually, because we just mm. don't talk about money as doctors. And it's I like think a society as a whole. It's very British as well. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but we, we need to because mm. the pay is not going up. In fact, it's going down in real terms. Our jobs are getting harder. So, um, you know, we need to start managing our money better. Um, OK, so we sort of touched about how small things um, yeah. can make a difference. And I think the message there is that small things add up. You know, coffee and lunch is one example. Um, you know, restricting your costs of buying expensive cars and stuff, not cool. That's another thing I had to like, we, I don't have expensive cars. I think I grew up like my dad, he, he never spent money on cars. So as long as it gets me to A to B safely, I'm happy. Well, and I think so many of the new F1s when we were getting, you know, a good rate, reasonable paycheck from being a student, Loads of them got the um, car schemes where they don't actually necessarily own the car at the end. And the depreciation cost of that is just massive. And it always just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, um, we could talk all day about that. Uh, <laughs> something like, what are you rolling in? What wheels you got? Um, I've got an old Mazda 2 that I bought from my sister's sister-in-law. Very hand. nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually pretty glamour at the moment because I've got a 10-year-old Peugeot 207. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. it's is that a beast. sport version or the? <laughs> it says SW on the back, which I oh. thought was meant sporty, but yeah. it's actually station wagon because it's like <laughs> a weird estate version. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was pretty cheap. So yeah, anyway, let's not get more into cars because no. that's pretty niche. But I think just minimizing your costs on yeah. stuff, which you know, there's so much shiny stuff in the world, and the temptation mm -hmm. is to buy shiny stuff uh, on credit or buy now, pay later, and all of that. Um, mm -hmm. And Actually, if you crunch the numbers, you know, Einstein reportedly described compound interest as the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. And, and then went on to say that those that understand it earn it by investing and those that don't pay it by not, you know, getting racking up debt. So, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, that's some massive things that we could work on. But then you went on to say something else that really interests me, uh, which is that you got some property investment 
with your partner and also you use Vanguard. So some people, this might be the first time they've ever heard of mm -hmm. Vanguard. Tell us about Vanguard. Okay, so um, so it's, let's say it's an investment fund, I believe. Actually, he has the Vanguard and I have the, um, the more immediate um, savings account. So okay. Vanguard, for example, because it's the compound interest investments in stock shares, that sort of thing, um, you don't want to put money in there that you need or you want to use in a sh medium to short term because actually the market can fluctuate as you know now with coronavirus there's been a bit of a plummet For so sure. you, but over time more like the history has told us that your savings will accrue money and compound interest even if there are dips in the market so what we've done as a couple is he's put his money into the long-term investments in the vanguard so that's stock shares and bonds and you can kind of know your risk profile so if you're willing to take the risk but kind of would potentially get the big gains or if you've got a low risk tolerance which we do and then you're more into the safer investments that you might not accrue that much um interest quickly but actually you're less likely to have those big hits um and it's just a way a platform where you can use to invest and i think it's the biggest and most well-known platform for investing but i know these days there's lots of apps out there now to try and make it easier for you to start investing um so he has the vanguard then i have the sort of shorter term money that we hopefully want to try and save up and buy a house together because we don't actually have a house together at the moment we've got our individual one so that's hopefully more of a goal that we're working towards in the next sort of three to five years and because of the instability in the markets i'm putting it into a more of a well i'm actually using premium bonds so uh so you know shorter term less risk but hopefully will accrue a little bit of interest that's more secure money so we have those both those two routes i mean you know that's just really nice concise explanation of vanguard there basically it's a collection of mutual funds so if you're not yeah. sure about what you know a passive fund is essentially it's a tracker and vanguard is i believe one of the biggest in the world um we've got loads about investing in the ebook and coming up um but i think you know a lot of people don't even know where to start with investing and think that it's just for rich people uh mm. the rich people um are rich because they invested so you've got yeah. to start somewhere um so i think that was a great explanation of, of how to do it and so Thanks. when you say do you have like an emergency fund or so yeah that's something else i like have in my mind is that um, I remember I listened to um, a podcast. There's so many great podcasts out there for education. That's one of the main ways that I used. And there's a guy called um, who does the Meaningful Money podcast. Uh -huh. He's uh, counted down in um, Penzance, I think. And he is all about emergency funds. So yeah, definitely have that because you want you want to be saving and you want to be having. So the re reason why I have premium bonds is because that's my sort of short-term saving account that I don't dip into. So it's kind of protected money, which I think is great because it saves you from yourself if you want to buy a new surfboard, <laughs> as you're saying. Like, uh, <laughs> But it's, it's like, don't touch into that money. But then you also need that little pot that if your boiler breaks your car, you have, you know, your car MOT is that the horrendous bill or something happens, you need to have that buffer available to you so yes yeah, so i have a smaller savings account just an online banking savings account which is my emergency fund which is there i can dip into it if i need to try not to but that's sort of more easily accessible in my mind than the premium bonds of the vanguard yeah i mean having an emergency fund is a total fundamental of financial planning yeah. and um we did a, did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with one of our advisors and we talk a bit more about that 
um, and holding it in premium bonds, um, you know, is a great way to do it. Again, somebody wrote to me when in the ebook it says about having an emergency fund, and they were like, "This was pre or pre COVID uh, <laughs> when someone was proofreading it." They were like, "Doctors don't need an emergency fund," and then. <laughs> COVID happened and some of my colleagues do exclusively private work, you know, so yeah, yeah, so their private work is totally stopped and they're like, oh, turns out we do need, doctors do need an emergency fund. So I think um, having an emergency fund has been one of my biggest lessons from from COVID financially. Um, As you say, the stock market's been pretty interesting as well. Um, But, you know, everybody needs an emergency fund. It's an absolute fundamental um, and holding it in the way that you you do. is, is definitely way forward. So it sounds like you're, you know, you're, you're really on the pace here, but you mentioned that you did read our ebook, which is yep. totally free and is available to download at medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash ebook. I think we're over 10,000 downloads in the last month and a half now. Wow. Um, did we manage to teach you anything new yeah. from the ebook? Uh, yeah, so there were a few things that either really resonated with me or were new concepts. I think one thing you mentioned was that your sort of that partners can have different levels of um, sort of investment in the fire movements per se. And actually, it made me realize how lucky I am that actually my partner and I are quite on a par that we don't mind spending money if we feel like it's really value for money. For example, most years, not this year, but we go for like an annual holiday abroad, for example, which we think we get really good value for money from. And we do choose the ones that actually are like the dates that are cheapest in the year, that sort of thing. But I think that does save any potential arguments I could foresee if one moment and one member of the relationship was a saver and one was a spender. And I thought it was really great how you addressed that in your ebook. Yeah, the reason I know so much about that is because my wife is definitely the more frugal and I have a weakness for buying surfboards and bikes. So we do our financial plan together and it basically involves her saying, you can't buy stuff and me saying, oh, you're right. Um, so the, yeah, I mean, that, that's uh, uh, it's a great point. Um, another thing, you know, the thing about doctors is we are well paid. So, you know, if you want to go on a nice holiday every year, the reality of our income is that you can. And I think what I want people to take away from the ebook is just get a plan like you have. It sounds great. But also just be aware of how much that costa is costing, you, you know, because, yeah. you know, if you don't have a costa every day, you can go on an amazing holiday once a year. <laughs> and uh, maybe that's better for you, you know, yeah. and what you would like to do. Um, I'm also we've been talking a bit about the um, the money and stuff, but I'm super interested in your lifestyle and wellness mm. uh, angle because that's become a buzzword recently, and I think yeah. it's great because you know it is definitely something that needs to to happen. Do you want to sort of tell us a bit more about how you got into that and what it means to you? Because I believe right now you're sat on your yoga cushion. Yeah, I am. Um, so yeah, I I've always I think been interested in wellness, but not never actually put a name to it. And again, my partner, um, he was ahead of the game with that as well. So he was meditating before it was cool and wearing blue light blocking glasses before anyone really knew what they were. So it was really great that we could bounce ideas off that. And then the key thing for me taking the step into actually making it something part of my life in a like sort of doing the blog and educating in that way was. Um, I was a GP trainee and I was going from after my first job in GP back into hospitals. And if I'm being honest, hospital jobs are just not me. I did not enjoy the environment there at all, really. And it just 
the antisocial hours. Um, I, I need my eight plus hours of sleep a night. I'm one of those people. And uh, it just made me realize actually to have a bit of meaning, purpose and continue the drive in medicine to know that I did like the end point, even if I didn't really enjoy the means of getting there through hospital jobs, just to have that side thing that really kept my mind in focus and realized where I was getting to. So um, I started um, a blog about lifestyle medicine because I'd started reading into that as a new growing field. And one of the things I've really enjoyed about that is I felt a bit different. Everyone was going down that traditional path. And by putting myself out there on Instagram mainly, I found some really like-minded people nationally and locally. And it's just really nice to get that community of like-minded people. And a lot of them are GPs as well, because um, I think it's just more accessible to um, put a lifestyle spin on the more primary care side of things so that's been really great and it's just gone from strength to strength in knowing making those connections and so let's say finding the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine so I can um, and I'm doing the diploma in that to get sort of that credibility about um, sort of the science and evidence based of the specialty and patients love it as well yeah they really do. Um, it's something that I definitely wish I had more time to dedicate and learn like you have. Um, and you mentioned that you train less than full time, yeah. which um, is is the dream. Um, how did you go about organizing yeah. that? Is it easy? Uh, no, is the answer. But I think it's getting easier. Um, and I think particularly related to the fire movement, some people might say that actually going less than full time is sort of against fire and sort of accruing money. But actually, I think that for me, the sustainability that less than full-time training gave and the protection against things such as burnout actually in the long haul would make me more able to achieve fire easier because actually I would be able to stay in the job for longer whereas actually if I went full-time and burnt out that's just going to be actually against against that more so than being less than full-time um so I I've been a GP trainee now for just over three years. So when I was doing the application, it was about four years ago. And it was in the, I think it's becoming a bit more accessible. I know I think OBS and Guy need some other tra um, trainings and piloting, sort of letting you go full time, um, part time just because you want to. Whereas traditionally, you'd need quite stringent reasons to go less than full time. So one would be like being pregnant or having childcare or um, like having some sort of medical condition or being a carer. Whereas I didn't have any of them and I wasn't in the position in my life to think that getting pregnant would be a good idea to go less than full time. And I don't think it really gives you much more time in life. But um, if you so, like eight hours sleep a day, um, yeah. <laughs> do not get pregnant is my tip. Um, <laughs> I can speak from experience, not yeah. of being pregnant, but of having yeah, children. Yeah, of the sleep factor. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've always been quite interested in public health and I've always been a bit of a nerd. I like love the academic side of things and I love learning. So um, I applied to an online distance learning um, masters in public health and I thought doing a sort of a medical degree in public health it is something I'm interested in potentially open up some doors career-wise later whether that's sort of CCG stuff or working in a public health body and I did actually look into public health as a training as well so it kind of um, gave me those options and it's something I was really interested in um, and it was different. So basically what I did is I applied and I got in and then I did the application saying, I've got in to do a master's, <laughs> please, can you let me do it? And um, sort of gave my case. It was a lot of paperwork, but then, yeah, they let me do it, which I was really pleased. 
Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Uh, as you say, it's getting easier to do. And I think it's one of the things that as a profession, we have to embrace to yeah. do it. But it sounds like you've uh, fully got the hang of that, uh, how to do that. Um, one thing uh, that I see a lot of lifestyle and wellness doctors mm. not talking about, uh, maybe you're different because you're in the fire thing, but we yeah. don't talk that much about the link between wellness and money. And for me, when I graduated from university, mm. I had 85,000 pounds of debt. I did came from very humble beginnings, so I had no financial support. And at that point, you know, money and financial health was a big drag yeah. on my wellness. Um, but I don't see anyone talking about it that much. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think I'm um, sort of fat on of this as well. I haven't actually, I, I've, I've done about, you know, over a hundred blogs on my, on my thing. And I don't think I've ever actually talked about finance and I probably should. And I think, again, it's what we've been saying. The culture is we just do not talk about it as British people, but also as medics. And I think we do really need to knock that wall down really and just have that open conversation about it because we can all benefit from it really. And I think I did actually just look into a few sort of of the literature of this beforehand. And I came across a really sort of interesting paper, which is um, if anyone wants to look it up, it's the psychosocial context of financial stress implications for inflammation and psychological health by Strogan et al in 2016, if anyone is a nerd like me and likes reading the papers. Um, but um, And they did examine the direct relationship between financial stress, inflammation and psychological distress. And the results of this paper indicated that individuals who reported more financial stress over the previous year reported more interpersonal stresses, greater psycho logical distress, lower levels of psychological well-being, and those lower levels of psychological well-being were related in a significant way with pro-inflammatory mediators. So it is actually all involved with both psychological and physical well-being. And I think one of the key things of this paper that really resonated with me, particularly from a lifestyle perspective, was actually they highlighted the importance of social connection and how financial stress can really negatively impact relationships and actually we've been showing through the the research in lifestyle that actually loneliness is so detrimental to our health it's an, as as negative as a as smoking 15 cigarettes a day to our health so actually the fact that finance is all interrelated to this and i think this is one thing that i'm getting over and over again with the lifestyle movement is everything is so interrelated and i think the fact that finance is drawn into that i think is something we shouldn't overlook yeah, I mean, I guess it's quite a niche to have expertise in both. And maybe it's just that, you know, people don't have the expertise. I don't have the expertise in lifestyle. I know a bit about money. Um, yeah. So, you know, maybe we should uh, connect and do something together like that in the future. Yeah. Okay, I mean, that that was super interesting. Um, I mean, it sounds like you've sculpted your career to how you want it to be. And I see okay. lots of our colleagues, <laughs> lots of our colleagues who get on the treadmill. So they go to, yeah. they do their A-levels, they go to med school, then they go straight into training and then they do their training and mm -hmm. then they become a consultant or a GP. And, you know, that's great if that's what yeah. you want to do. And if that's what makes you happy, um, great. Um, it's not what I did. It's definitely not what you're doing. Do you have any kind of tips on how to step outside the box because I think one thing that you've done which also I've done is you know you've invested in your own training by doing yeah. something slightly different that mm. makes you not so much stand out but I think if you yeah. do something different from the herd then it's already a talking point isn't it yeah I think actually that's one thing that 
I didn't talk about about in terms of our investments and what we're doing for fire. And I think one thing that's not particularly talked about is human investment and human capital. And actually, I have put quite a lot of money into lots of different diplomas, exams, that and teacher training, that sort of thing. I'm just doing my yoga teacher training at the moment. Um, and having that they are initial investments and actually i always get a bit oh should i spend the money to do this diploma but actually if you think about it as an investment in yourself and your potential future earning um potential actually it can be quite a significantly good investment and my partner's been doing some of his he's a member of the icaw and he's been doing some extra trainings with them in terms of excel and um python and coding um all stuff i don't understand but it's like you know it it actually having that mindset that this is an investment makes that decision easier. And I think one thing that I, someone told me that really, really remember is that we had a pastoral deputy head clinic in the clinical school in my uni. And she was the first ever um, non-surgical ophthalmologist in the country. And she literally developed the sort of training program for them. And what she said is, if you want to do something, and make a career but it's not a training program and it's not actually a thing yet make it a thing <laughs> so i thought that was really good it's actually kind of don't limit yourself to the box and the training pathways that are already there and i think it's so ingrained in us when we're coming to the end of medical school we get those this is what your career is going to look like flow diagrams presented to us and it is very easy to follow the herd and see well that's the thing and i think with F3s becoming more and more of a concept and people going to Australia and abroad and sometimes coming back, sometimes not, I think that is opening up doors to breaking free from that traditional way of doing things. But then people do often come back and then just slot back into that where they were in that training pathway. So I would think if you want to do it, I think have the courage to do it but really do look into it. And like I said about going part-time, there was a lot of paperwork. I looked into things and actually every year you have to reassess and be like, send loads of paperwork to be like, why am I still less than full-time? And if you want to change your percentage, it's quite a lot of paperwork as well. So, but for me, it's definitely been worth it. And I think don't be afraid if it's going to be a bit of work, if it's going to make you happier long-term, just find that passion and go for it really. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing you said that really resonates with me is just having the courage to do it. You know, we are taught, you know, as I said, go to med school, tick those boxes, go to do F1, you know, get a paper published, get into the next training program, tick the next box, tick, tick, tick box. It's become so tick box. So if you sort of put your hand up and say, um, I'm going to just go off and do something different. Everyone's like, whoa, that guy's failed. See you later, yeah, exactly. mate. I did get a bit worried about like, um, thinking that like in my portfolio or in the training pathway that they would think I was different and not totally committed to medicine and it's, it's a different thing it's like yes I'm really committed to that but I've also got different strands that I really want to enjoy and bring into this definitely um like I said in my uh, fire blog I was really nervous about saying yeah. you know I only work three days clinically now I've dropped down two days um and that makes me a better doctor because i'm just happier when i'm there you know definitely it makes I, I, me a better person i have to say but a nicer person to be around a better doctor definitely better yeah. partner better daughter you know just yeah 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 and having the sort of courage as you said to recognize that and say mm -hmm. actually put your hand up and say look uh that's not that this isn't me um yeah it's a massive thing but i think more and more of us are doing it more i mean mm -hmm. 
we haven't really talked about burnout and that is a we've been skirting around it a bit right and yeah. so have i uh so have you uh and it's a massive topic but what do you think are the biggest contributors to burnout and how can wellness uh help with that and that is a massive question this late yeah, in the podcast i hope you've had a coffee <laughs> <laughs> yes i have so that's good. Um, um i think pressure and workload and that's yeah. not getting less i actually my dad's a GP and had a conversation with him recently that they because I was saying we we're just talking about how the jobs changed and it's not necessarily easier but it's not necessarily harder either in some ways um and they used to do nights and like on calls as GPs and the first day that he the first year sorry he was doing on calls he won sort of the award the prize gave uh, the uh, practice gave for the worst number of on calls and he'd been called out 27 times in the year by the time that they finished doing the on-calls when the um, contract trains, in the weekend, they would standardly be called out over 90 times. And I think that just demonstrates how the demand has changed significantly. And I think that's a main contributing factor to burnout. It's not just that you're there in long hours, which I think is a, the, um, in wellness, the disruption of circadian rhythm has dramatic effects to physical and psychological um, wellness. And we are actually in a job where if you're in hospitals and you're doing nights, that is going to do ultimately no benefit for your health. And there's some research now coming out for women that do night shifts. They're actually more at risk of breast cancer. So it is actually quite significant toll. And I think I find nights personally horrendous. I know some medics who actually quite enjoy them. So it is that's just one thing personally I think that shift work can um, do a toll and demand so I think it is the pace of it I think which has changed and I think that's one of the main things that contributes to burnout um, and that and I think you can't also negate the emotional labor that doctors put into their job and the fact that we see some really quite distressing things and often I've worked in some specialties which were brilliant at debriefing and I've worked in some that weren't. And actually the fact that you in A&E can be running around and seeing sort of a, an, an arrest, which could be anything from a six month old to a nine year old and all the different interactions and um, emotions that are going on in that with parents and daughters and family members, and then just have to pick up the next person and be like, you know deal with that and actually we are humans at the end of the day and i think that's one of the main things to remember is actually for both ourselves and our patients actually we are humans and we are just trying our best and sometimes sometimes it does take a toll on us definitely um i think you know burnout's different for everybody i think for yeah. me it's the combination of everything that you mentioned really sort of workload resource limitations mm -hmm. expectations of patients um and um I mean, how can you sort of tell, and again, this is different for everybody, mm -hmm. that you are getting burnt out? Because I know when I was getting burnt out, you know, the signs that I had, um, yeah. and I recognized them early and took some aversive action, which was great. But, yeah. you know, what's, how, do, how could someone listen to this thinking, yeah. oh, am I burnt out? I don't know. Yeah, I actually did do a blog on this specifically for medics, so I can always send you the link and you can put it in the show notes or something if you wanted to. People want Definitely. To more into that. Um, but I think it's um, the emotional 
apathy really so whether that's the um compassion fatigue so you're not able to have that empathy with your patients and other people in your life as much you can be a bit more irritable um and sort of emotional dysregulation and you're just quite fatigued like some people can actually just be almost bed bound by it and actually it is something that isn't necessarily a quick fix and i think people can take quite a long time to come back to it if they have been burnt out for a while and I do think as an organization the NHS is becoming more aware of it and there are more like professional supporting bodies to help doctors who are feeling burnt out um, sort of try and help them through that now which I think is really good but I think like you say you do need to try and recognize it in yourself earlier rather than later like you seem to have done like sort of take aversive action to try and stop you getting to that point and I think it's are you still enjoying your job which can actually maybe not always be a sign of burnout it might be that actually maybe this isn't the right career for you and all those sort of things as well but are you able to cope with the emotional demands of the job um and i think that's something another thing we could talk for ages about it might just be that actually you need to develop coping strategies so i think the thing that i'm finding hard to articulate i think is that it's different for everyone but Definitely. there are these secure signs of sort of compassion fatigue, um, emotional dysregulation, irritability, lack of concentration, um, and just general apathy with life in a, to a certain extent when you're getting to the more severe levels of it. Yeah. Uh, like it's different for everybody. We could talk for days about this. Uh, I think yeah. we definitely should record another couple of episodes about this because yeah. it's super interesting. Um, I think my trainer when I was a GP put it really well. Um, we were talking about it and he mm. said, going reinforcing what you said about yeah. losing a bit of empathy and compassion. He says, when you start seeing the patient as the enemy, you know, yes. that's a sort of yeah. sign. So if someone would come in and have an earache and I'll just be like, what? why you know but actually that person has come for a genuine reason you know they yeah. probably they've been on hold for like 20 minutes on the phone so they yeah. have a genuine reason for being there and i want to help them and get to the bottom of what they why mm. they're there and what else it might be something else you know when we're doing the ice and exploring everything else yeah. there's probably yeah. another reason why you why they're there but you're sort of on the edge of burnout. So you just give them some otomize and send them out the door like that. Yes, that exactly. That's a fail. That's a fail from the doctor. And, you know, you know, so when you start seeing the patient as the enemy, I think that's one time when I know yeah. that I'm getting a bit on the edge. Yeah, I think it's that constant cynicism of it. And yeah. um, and also, I think another aspect of it is that your professional efficacy is reduced. So actually, you feel you're not able to do as much as you can do. And I think another thing to mention if someone's thinking they're burnt out is that actually burnout i believe is now actually sort of um in the icd-10 and there is a definition for it now but one of the things that i think is particularly important to mention is is specifically work related so if you're feeling like it's you're having problems in other aspects of your life it might be more that you're looking more at depression or that sort of thing rather but burnout whilst it can impact other areas of your life it's specifically related to the workplace yeah and if someone's listening to this and they're feeling like they're burnt out or worse um you mentioned mm. your links to the british society of lifestyle medicine and your blog i mean where's some good places for to go to seek help and you know hook up with like-minded yeah. people um so i think it depends on the severity of it it might just be as simple as talking to um your partner about it or talking to friends and sort of exploring your emotions more to work out whether it is um 
burnout and if in the earlier stages anything you can do um, individually to try and um, help and prevent you going further down the line whether that's going less than full time and that sort of thing if you feel like you might need some more support talking to an educational or a clinical supervisor that can be beneficial um, and potentially might be able to um, put some um, some elements in place in the workplace to um, to sort of try and help you through that and help prevent you going further to um, burnout and then there is actually the professional support network within the NHS which you can refer yourself to and then they might be able to offer things like CBT or um, maybe taking some time off work if that's needed so there are different levels for different things taking it in a more individual and like wellness level um, I've done another blog recently which I can send you a link for as well about yoga and um, burnout and actually how yoga can be beneficial for doctor well-being and there's been some not so much evidence with doctors themselves but with medical students about perceived stress levels with yoga so I think that's quite a it is an option for people to pursue um, gratitude so I have a gratitude journal and I think we are innate within human our human nature so nothing against us um, individually about how we always look for the negative because we so we evolved to uh, scan threats for the horizon whether like you know a line coming to taste us that sort of thing so actually innately we do not notice those little things in the day which we can often overlook which actually could bring us great joy so actually whether it's a mental journal or, a, or an actual written one take time to notice the good things in the day because otherwise we can become overwhelmed with the negative um and I love breath work. I'm just um, doing some training to become a breath work coach in part of my yoga side of things. And I think actually I used it myself at work and I love it because no one needs to know you're doing it. You can do it anywhere. It's free and you always have it available to you. I think ultimately if you're really down the line with burnout, this might not help, but it might help in the immediate feelings of stress and overwhelm i love box breathing that's a really simple strategy and it can really help calm the nervous system activate the parasympathetic nervous system and in that moment when we're feeling quite overwhelmed just bring us down and help us to feel more grounded and i've, I've known to do it around like on a busy on call day when you're walking around and your bleeps going and just like walk down the floor doing it no one knows you're doing it and actually it can really just help ground you and make you feel a bit more in control I mean, that's awesome. Um, some really great strategies that you've developed there. We should definitely um, talk about those in more detail uh, yeah. on another podcast, I think. Um, so you mentioned, um, so if people are liking what they're hearing from you, mm -hmm. and I, I love it, um, you mentioned that you're on Instagram. Is that the best yeah. way to connect with you? Yes, Instagram's the best way to connect because I'm most active on that platform. I do have a Twitter account, but I'm not really on there. Um, so it's just Dr. Emma Thurston. Um, and then my website is drmathurston.com and i've got a contact page in there if people want to reach out i'm always happy to have a chat awesome uh, we'll definitely drop that in the show notes okay. um awesome well thank you so much for your time this morning i know we both have to fit this in around clinical commitments yeah. which is uh, part of keeping our wellness uh, sane um, yes. and that was super interesting we'll drop all of that in the show notes and I think Perfect. we definitely need to get you back to talk a bit more I'm super interested in those breathing uh, techniques that you talked about yeah. uh, anything to make an on-call day less stressful yeah. um, so to sort of wrap it up I mean we've covered so much yeah. is there sort of one message that you would send to the Medics Money podcast listeners that if you were because we're F1s are starting now right mm -hmm. so if you could tell your F1 self something what would you tell your F1 self? Don't be afraid to be different if it helps you be a better person.
I mean, succinct and absolutely bang on point. I love it. Uh, awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, Emma. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. As I said, the links to everything are in the show notes to uh, connect with Emma. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back on the podcast again soon. Thanks very Thanks much. For having me.